Hey guys, welcome to this bonus episode of How Did They Get There? Today we are speaking to Tom Cheeslai, a futurist. Tom has had an amazing career following his passion with a very unconventional job title. Listen in to Tom sharing his journey and advice. Hi Tom, welcome to the podcast, How Did They Get There? Thanks Nishant. Uh, would you quickly introduce yourself to our listeners? Uh, sure. My name is Tom Cheeswright. I'm an applied futurist. Um, what that means is I work with organizations around the world to answer three questions. Uh, what does our future look like? How do we tell that story to our colleagues and our customers and sometimes our shareholders? And then the big question, what on earth do we do about it? Great. That sounds very fascinating. And, uh, you know, something I've not come across uh, anybody else doing before. Um, do you love what you do? Yeah, totally. I mean, so this is a made up job. I mean, that's why you haven't come across any others. There are lots of futurists and futurologists out there. But this specific brand where I focus primarily on the near future, where I work across different industries from automotive to government to healthcare to pharmaceuticals. And when I get involved in answers as well as questions, yeah, that's really, I don't know if it's unique to me, but certainly it's that's unusual. And so you know, I, I sat down with a friend of mine eight years ago and I jumped ship from my last startup and told him what I wanted to do. And he came up with the term applied futurist for what I do. And so, yeah, I love it. I, I, it would be daft to make up your own job and not enjoy it. Absolutely. Though I believe I think every job is made up anyway, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, uh, you're working across sectors and I was looking through your website and you were work, looking at future in food. Uh, to future in his business, to future in work, to future in cities, uh, basically future in everything. So how do you, uh, you know, work across um, so many domains? So I guess there's two parts to that answer. I mean, the, the first part is it's really mercenary in that I go where the money is. Um, mm -hmm. People come to me and say, could you, you know, look at the future of X for us? And I say, generally, I say yes, because it sounds interesting. And then, you know, I'm extremely curious. But how is it was kind of how it took me the first two years of doing this, maybe three years of doing this to answer that question, which is, you need a toolkit. You know, like in any job, you need a set of tools to do the job. And you know, there, are, there were lots of tools out there. You know, future studies is a really established discipline. But I didn't find that any of the tools that were out there answered the specific questions my clients were asking. Because mm -hmm. most of my clients are primarily focused on the near future. Mm -hmm. Not always, but certainly when I'm working behind closed doors with people, it's about what's going to take me out at the knees next, not what might happen in 30 years. And so the first two, three years I was doing this, and it's been refined ever since I built my own set of tools. And that's what allows me to jump into different markets, take that toolkit and apply it to that particular industry and extract some interesting ideas or results. Oh, that's great. I think... Uh... Uh, that that makes sense, you know. That toolkit approach is something uh, I've come across myself because uh, driving industry for strategy in an organization, and uh, it's uh, while there's really good tools out there, you always have to tailor something specific to your need if you want to scale stuff. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Uh, so the, the I mean, nobody knows this better than you. The industry is changing at a dramatic pace. Right, uh, and you've highlighted that across your books, your podcast, uh, right, with engagements that you do. What do you have to do to keep learning uh, and adapting to this? 
It's a good question. I mean, you do train your brain to get good at learning, and that's one of the most critical things. And it's something I end up advising a lot of people to do is, particularly people I work with, they tend to be more senior in their careers. They tend to have been in a particular industry for maybe 20, 30 years. And you kind of, you never stop learning, but you do sort of forget how little you know. You start to think, you start to think you know everything and it's subconscious and I'm not criticizing people for it. And occasionally you have to remind yourself that actually there's lots of things you don't know. And so one of the things I did for myself a few years ago to really kind of reawaken those learning muscles and something I advise a lot of my clients do is to get a new hobby Mm -hmm. because it puts you into a world where everybody knows more than you do where you're suddenly first to learn like forced to learn from the ground up again and you're actually communicating with a whole new bunch of people so it's incredibly humbling it kickstarts all those learning muscles uh, and it teaches you to experiment and fail and test stuff so for me i actually went to learn to and learn to roller skate at the age of 39 uh, with my kids you know where, where you know, there were six-year-olds around me who were much better than i was and it was really good for me apart from keeping me a little bit fit you know it really did reawaken those learning processes uh, that that is great and i absolutely agree with that uh, it's something i try to practice on myself uh, i mean my background is automotive engineering but i got into software then self-taught myself outside of my job to do web programming to now ml and ai programming um, and i don't like to call myself a professional in any of those but i do enough to convert my own ideas into prototype which is all i want to be able to do really so there's a really interesting thing i learned the other day you've heard the phrase a jack of all trades yeah yeah jack of all trades and master of none it's often used as a criticism of people and actually the original phrase was jack of all trades uh, but master of none is sometimes better than a master of one and you know it really is i think it's such a a skill set for our age being able to dip into lots of different things and understand the connections between them yeah no i think it's uh, that's absolutely true especially i mean uh, you know after this has come across on some of my previous episodes uh, we talk about this book by david epstein uh, called rage um you probably have that <laughs> Exactly. That one. (laughs) You know, it it comes up on here. He mentions about, you know, uh, being a generalist, not a specialist. And most times you need to be a generalist uh, in the business to be able to drive the change. Um, And and I think particularly having that balance of um, arts and science skill sets. Yeah you know having that because i think you know there's it's you know the science is a creative subject but actually the um creative skills are really well taught in art subjects yeah and so having that blend of the two is really valuable uh, and, and i think the other point which uh, i've seen in in my time across industry is um the collaboration is so important right between arts and science and you know across industries because actual innovation comes from that not just trying to do everything on your own. Mm, absolutely, hugely. I mean, yeah, look at the biggest brands today. Yeah. Look at someone like, yeah, if, if Apple isn't a collaboration between art and science, I don't know what is. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, um, the skills required for future jobs are going to be very different, right? Uh, and you see this changing constantly. There are job titles now which didn't exist. I mean, my own job title didn't exist a couple of years back. Um, and would you recommend companies to grow these skills in-house or to hire for them? Grow for, for really, really simple reasons. There aren't the people to hire. 
I mean, the, the people you are going to want in five years' time don't exist. And mm. even if the universities and the schools are putting out some of them, they're not putting out enough. Yeah. You know, I frequently have conversations with organizations where they complain about, particularly the, the, the cost of some of the technical skills they have to hire. Yeah. And so I ask them, I say, well, you know, how many people are you training? <laughs> and they say none i'm like why <laughs> you know we need to invest an awful lot more in developing people and i think it is a it's, it's an increasingly critical business expense if you want to build sustainable success if yeah. you want to have the workforce that's going to keep you get you ready for the future you need to be training them not expecting them to just appear from nowhere uh, absolutely agree uh, and in, <clears throat> across all of these themes that we've been discussing at the moment, uh, a common one that I have come across is the culture uh, within the business. Um, what do you think is the importance of culture uh, when business is transforming or to be future ready? So for me, uh, one of my big criticisms of organizations is when they try and have a culture, mm -hmm. a single culture, when actually the culture you want in a software development team may not be the right culture for a marketing team, mm -hmm. may not be the right culture for a logistics team. Mm -hmm. and, and so you know, I think companies are often kind of too prescriptive on culture, whereas you need a set of shared values you need to have absolutely a set of shared values across both the company and the partners you choose to work with and ideally with your customers as well. But actually, once you get down to the sort of the minutiae of culture, you really have to let it actually be less controlling mm -hmm. and allow each different unit in the organization to have the culture that allows it to optimize its own productivity, performance, um, you know, success. And so that for me is, you know, culture is hugely important, but we shouldn't try and create good cultures by being prescriptive. Mm -hmm. We should, we should delegate that control as close to the edge of the organization as possible. Yeah. Empowering people. Great. Uh, so moving to, you know, the second part of our interview, um, is there any book, one book or, uh, you know, a couple of books that you've given most as a gift or have the, had the most impact on you? So the book that's had the most impact on me, again, I have it right here. It's the Usborne Book of the Future from 1979, I think it was first published. Okay. So my mum bought me this in a book fair in Ealing in London, where we lived at the time, uh, in about 1981, something like that. And it's been with me ever since. You can tell it's, I mean, it's a bit battered. Uh, it's falling apart. <laughs> But it, it, it's, you know, it's, it's subtitled A Trip in Time to the Year 2000 and Beyond. And it, was, it, was, it wasn't the only thing that got me obsessed with the future and particularly with the scientific aspects of the future. But it really helped to sort of crystallize my imagination and enthuse me about the possibilities. And you combine that with growing up in an age of Star Wars and Star Trek and you know, Buck Rogers and you know, Battlestar Galactica. And you know, all the Jerry Anderson stuff, you know, I was, I was just steeped in science fiction from an early age. And it really has set me on that long, long path to here. Great. Uh, so, you know, I mean, everything that uh, you do, especially in the future, and we mentioned a little bit about it, uh, was allowing to fail, right? So do you have a specific failure of yours, uh, which has later led to your success or a favorite failure of yours? <laughs> Cracky, pick pick one. Um, I mean, 
the one that's probably the most had the most impact on my career was a business I started in 2006 mm-hmm. called Eggheads and the idea was going to be home technology support so I wanted to, it was going to be a franchise I was going to franchise it out to people so I paid lots of money for the branding and the website and the ideas and all the sales and marketing collateral yeah. and it was for people who'd come around to your house and help you to choose buy and use modern technology Mm-hmm. But the problem was what it needed to work was people who are really good at talking to people and people who are really good at talking to machines and they had to be the same person mm-hmm. so that if somebody knocked on your door you'd let them in because they were nice people but they could also fix the problem and what I realized quite quickly was that anybody who can talk to machines and can talk to people is already earning about 70 grand a year <laughs> and really doesn't need a, a business on the side or a franchise but I ran this business for about 18 months. And what I did, um, thanks to my wife working at a radio station, all my first clients were radio DJs. Yeah. And what, what, I went around to fix one of them's computer, uh, Sam Walker. And um, she said afterwards, she said, oh, you're quite good at explaining this stuff. I've got a new show on BBC Radio Manchester. Would you like to come on and, and, and answer people's tech questions? Yeah. So this was like a you know, late night show on a Sunday night. You know, and I said, sure. I went and did it and did it for, for months and months and months. And then um, started doing some of the other local radio shows, then bits of national radio. And then the BBC moved to Salford, close to where I live now. Yeah. And yeah. suddenly I was on the BBC Breakfast sofa. I was on BBC News. I had a regular slot on Five Live. I was on Radio yeah. 4. And I've done about, I don't know now, well over 2,000 broadcast interviews since that chance meeting with Sam, where she asked me to fix her computer and come on her yeah. radio show. All thanks to that failed business. So, yeah, that's a favourite failure. Right. <laughs> Uh, do you have an unusual habit or an absolute thing that you love? Um, I don't know. I mean, the, the roller skating is pretty unusual. I don't know many men in their 40s who learn to roller skate, so that kind of stands out. I guess the other thing is I, I'm a big napper. Like, if I can, I will take an extra sleep. Um, and I think you know, we live in a very, very busy age, and I'm very protective of my time. I try to only work in the mornings and relax more in the afternoons. And quite often that means just toddling off back to bed for half an hour just to go and catch up. And I highly recommend it to anybody. I wrote a blog post about it a few years ago called The Two Mornings, the two mornings Experiment, yeah. where I, you know, I'm really good in the morning. So I wondered if I had a nap, could I have another morning basically in the afternoon? And absolutely, you know, some days it works. Nice. I think uh, I recently read the book, Why We Sleep. Uh, that mm-hmm. has some really good advice on why napping is important. If you need uh, it, take it. Exactly. Uh, do you have any learnings that you still carry from you know, university or school? Yeah, I, I have such a terrible memory. I kind of struggle to remember where I picked things up. But the thing I, the, one of the things I learned at school, and it... Um, it took me a while to get to grips with this is I was always a bit of a performer. Mm-hmm. So I did dance classes from when I was six to 16. I used to be getting involved in all the, all the theater shows and things. And it was only really in the last five years, I've admitted to myself how much that's really important to me, mm-hmm. how much actually I really like performing. Uh, and so particularly during lockdown, I've really missed it. You know, I've really missed being on stage, even though I'm speaking now rather than acting, you know, I've, I've really missed that. And so, you know, I think that's, I think, I guess I didn't, it took me a long time to learn the lesson, but school kind of exposed me to the possibility. Um, but yeah, I think you, we, should, we, need, we should be honest with ourselves about what's important to us. Yeah. Uh, and, and definitely, I think I've learned, I've, I've, it's very hard for, as a, for a Brit to accept it, but <laughs> I like <laughs> <shut up. laughs> 
Well, I mean, uh, that, that's great. And I think uh, it's, yeah, I think those, uh, everybody has those individual learnings that, you know, uh, you don't realize where you pick them for, but when you look back in retrospective, you realize, oh, actually, yeah, that's where that it comes from. Uh, you know, you've been, uh, you know, across various industries and talking about future. I'm sure you've come across, you know, various stereotypes uh, in these industries. Is there any specific stereotype that you hear uh, in your domains, uh, Ray? I mean, loads is the honest answer. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's quite funny how many industries stereotype themselves. Yeah. So, you know, the, the property industry, particularly the construction industry, um, they stereotype themselves as being very backward, very conservative, very slow. Um, and they kind of are. I mean, it's, yeah. <laughs> but it is changing. Yeah. Um, but you also, I mean, you also, there also are some stereotypes that are kind of true. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and, you know, the property industry is seen as being um, very white, very public school, very, very male. Uh, and sadly, although, again, that is changing and some organisations like British Land are making huge strides in changing this, you know, you can still go to an event with the property industry and the room will be 100% white, 100% male mm. uh, and mostly sort of upper middle class, you know, quite a lot of public school educated people. So, yeah, you know, there, there are really some, some very strong stereotypes in different industries. That said, there are some that completely blow your expectations out of the water. Mm. And, you know, banking is a great example of that. You know, large swathes of banking are found, you know, are um, the sort of the stereotype of the banker really not to be true at all. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Uh, you know, you were doing so many different things and, uh, you know, always trying to keep on top of what's changing, what's new. Uh, do you ever get overwhelmed or unfocused? And if you do, what do you do to bring your focus back in? Totally. I mean, I absolutely do. And, you know, it happened to me not that long ago, um, after the launch of my last book, uh, Future Proof Your Business, I was doing sort of, you know, daily Zoom promotional calls, um, while trying to do some sort of client research as well. And I was just completely flattened. Mm. I'm feeling a little bit like that now, to be honest. I'm looking forward to Christmas. <laughs> um, and the only thing you can do is to forgive yourself. Mm-hmm. to you know actually say look you can't do this so don't do this stop walk away take a breath because you're not helping anybody if you carry on least of all yourself and your family and and so you know this is partly why i'm so um careful with my time you know what i do is a very creative job yeah it requires the ex- expenditure of an enormous amount of what limited brain power i have you know so i'm I'm always reading learning digesting analyzing and then writing or speaking about it mm-hmm. and it, and, it, and you know if i if i go and do a bit of big speaking gig and i'm up on stage for an hour 90 minutes on a wednesday morning i've learned that i pretty much have to write the rest of that day off because i'm you know apart from maybe some meetings and a bit of lunch i'm not yeah. really going to get anything else done and it took me a long time to come to terms with that. I think we have such a, we, we hold ourselves to such ridiculously high standards when it comes to working hours, particularly yeah. and being there and present. It's like, you know, if you can't work well, don't work. You know, give yourself, go and have a sleep, go and have some food, go and have a walk, walk away, take a week off if you need to, walk yeah. away and come back to it with a fresh head. And generally what I find is, is you know, problems that might have taken me four hours to solve when I was tired, take me 15 minutes to solve with a fresh mm-hmm. head. 
it's just yeah. it's just not worth anybody's time forcing yourself to do those things yeah no i absolutely agree and uh, it, it's one of those harder things to convince yourself that actually you've got this big to do list but you only should attempt those top two or top three <laughs> items yeah yeah do do them do them well walk away exactly exactly so you know knowing what you know today uh, what would you instruct your younger self um it's kind of hard because I don't think I would change very much. I'm in that very, very lucky position. You know, I think I would probably tell my, um, I would probably tell myself just to keep going. I like just to pursue your curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that, uh, that it all works out, you know, <laughs> I mean, I've, I'm very lucky, you know, I've led, I've led a very, um, a very privileged life. You know, I've not, I don't come from super money or anything. I didn't go to a posh school or anything, but you know, I've always had a, a really supportive environment, you know, never really wanted for much. And, and, you know, I feel like my, but you know, I feel like that's given me the opportunity to experiment and play and try new yeah. things, particularly with the support of my wife as well, actually, who's allowed me to go and try all these silly ideas for businesses <laughs> and, uh, and supported me along the way. So, you know, I think, I think it would be a very, very reassuring conversation just to say, just keep going. Nice. I think that would be the title of your next book, Pursue Your Curiosity. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, in the current uh, COVID times, uh, we see that, uh, you know, students are graduating from college, um, you know, experienced professionals are, you know, being put on furlough, letting go. Uh, uh, so they're looking to pivot careers. What would be your advice, firstly, to the graduate and then to the experienced person uh, for, you know, any of the domains that you uh, work across? Yeah, I think the advice is actually quite similar for both of them. Mm-hmm. And it is we're about to see a big bump in self-employment yeah you know self-employment's gone up 50 percent in the last 20 years in the uk uh, it, it went up 10 percent after the last recession it's probably going to go up 10 percent after this recession as well mm-hmm. to the point where I, you know, I can see a day when you know 30 plus percent of the uk population are self-employed if not you know pushing towards 50 percent and, and so, you know, the chances are you could hunt around for a job today, but you might be better off getting yourself prepared for, prepared for a world where you're self-employed one way or another. Yeah. And so I think it's, you know, if you're, if you're struggling to find a new role now, it might be time to try and make one. And it's not easy. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying it's easy. Um, but, you know, there is capital around out there at the moment to fund things that it's it's easier than ever to start a new business i mean when i started my business it took six weeks just to get a bank account (laughs) um you know i used to have to do my my accounts on a spreadsheet there was no you know cloud-based accounting software that takes all the pain out of it you know you can register a company online for 13 pounds um you know, there's so many opportunities out there and, and, and you, you know, particularly for young people and graduates, actually, they probably understand their peers better than anybody trying to else trying to sell to them does. Mm-hmm. So, you know, take advantage of that. And, you know, within your means, you yeah. know, experiment a bit and try something out. Great. Um, so, you know, we've discussed about how you got to this, this position, right? Uh, where do you want to get to from here? <laughs> that's a good question um you know i don't want to do anything different now you know i've always bounced from you know i started my own business i started well i did a degree in mechatronic engineering then did five years in marketing for tech firms 
um, then did some consulting, then set up eggheads, then set up a digital agency and sort of built websites and campaigns for people like Manchester United and Iceland, the supermarket, then set up a software company, then did this. And it's always, you know, I always thought that I'll just keep leaping from startup to startup, but I love what I do now. And it gives me such a great balance of time working and time with my kids that I can't see me doing anything different. The big challenge, I guess, is to be top of your game. You know, I've, I've, I've got a level of profile and respect in the UK and, and increasingly in Europe. And, you know, the, it's about, I think, making that global. If, you know, if I was going to be honest about my ambition, yeah. I, I want to be the number one futurist in the world. You know, that's, that's if I was going to be completely frank about it, that's, yeah. that's what I'm facing. Well, that, that's uh, a good one. <laughs> um, so, you know, most, most of my competitors, my nearest competitors are a bit older than me. <laughs> um, I, I may not look it, but I'm relatively yeah. young for a futurist. Yeah. Um, not there are younger ones than me, sadly as well. But uh, and so you know, I think I think if I can be in that number one position in the next few years, then uh, yeah. yeah, I'd be very very happy indeed. Great. So Tom, thanks for you know being on the show and you know sharing your insights and stories. Um, so before we finish, is there any last words you want to share? Um. No, I mean, only the obvious plug to people to go to tomcheeserite.com and sign up for my newsletter on my podcast. <laughs> yeah, and I'll add those details at the, in the uh, episode description as well. Brilliant. Thanks, Nishan. Great. Thanks, Tom. Hey, listeners. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Would love to hear your feedback in the comments section. And if you enjoyed it, please subscribe.